0: motivated by love. Extravagance is motivated by love. And because we love our Father, we bring a gift of worship to Him. Today we're going to talk about the power of praise. And the truth that I want us all to walk away with this morning is understanding that our praise is a powerful weapon against the enemy. It's a weapon or a tool that we all need, each and every one of us, to live victorious lives with Christ Jesus. Not one of us can make it through life victorious without understanding this principle. So I want to define this idea of praise and what that means. If you're taking notes, you may jot down that praise defined is the act of expressing approval or admiration. The act of expressing approval or admiration Another definition is offering grateful homage, which you'll have to look that one up because I'm not sure what that is. Offering grateful homage in words or in song. Bringing grateful song, grateful words. And then another defined is an act of worship. Praise is an act of worship. And how many would agree this morning that God deserves this from us? you believe that? That God deserves that from us. As I've been praying and asking God to to minister and to meet us this morning, um, I've, I've been thinking about this idea of praise and what that means to honor, to bring admiration. And how it relates really to last week's extravagance. That motivated by love, we would bring an act of praise to say nice things or to sing great things. And then I was thinking about how I personally feel loved. Um, How many have heard or are familiar with the the book called The Five Love Languages? Uh, Several of you? Well, there's five love languages that that couples and uh, individuals and even kids uh, experience love in five different ways. And uh, and for Jessica and I, we've kind of studied these, and, and our love languages are different. And so the idea here is that you find out how someone is loved, how they feel loved, And then you want to bring a gift of love to them in that manner. So example, one of the five love languages is physical touch. So for some, holding a hand or or putting your arm on the shoulder or on someone's knee, um, that would bring love saying, man, they really care about me. Others, it's quality time. Spending quality time with someone. And really, Jessica, as we've as we looked at it, Je- that's one of Jessica's uh, best love languages is quality time, being around, and, uh, and just being present. Another one is active service. Boy, as you serve, as you clean, as you do, you feel loved. And, uh, and, and if that's you, and then if someone wants to love you, they, they should serve you. They should do something for you. Another one is gifts, and uh, how many like that one? I think we all do, right? But bringing gifts that would show love. And the last one is words of affirmation or praise. Bringing a praise. Personally, words of affirmation and physical touch, those two are my primary love languages. I've identified that, that I feel loved when I am praised. It motivates me. I love when I receive words of, of, of approval. I feel loved. If you want to win me or motivate me or if you want me to fight with you, whatever you're facing, send a little praise my way and it goes a long way. <laughs> I just tell you, it's true. When my kids tell me that I, they love me or that I'm the best because I am, right, to, at least to my kids, it motivates me. When Jessica says, man, Ben, when you grill, I love it when you grill. Uh, it makes me want to get that grill fired up and, uh, and make some chicken or some steak or, or hamburgers. Jessica tried something on me not too long ago. She said, hey, Ben, I love it when you clean the bathroom. Boy, you do such a good job. That one hasn't worked yet. So it doesn't work all the way along, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's important. This last week, I was thinking about this and and preparing, and something happened to me on Monday uh, with a group of guys that I meet on a regular basis, and uh, in the group, we did some things, uh, some activities together, and at the end, the guy that facilitates it said, man, Ben, you did a great job tonight, and I've remembered that all week long because that word of approval or that praise goes a long way for me. Now, when I think about how all of us, each of us are going to react to, to uh, different, these love languages different, but when we think about God and who he is, and we look at his word, we know without a shadow of a doubt that one of God's love languages is praise, is bringing a, a, a word of affirmation to him. He desires it. He deserves it. And, uh, and we want to learn how that we can do that best. You know, God created us very special, each and every one of us. We were created, the only created beings made in the image of God. We were made with the ability to speak and to understand speech. We were uh, created with the gift of song. And because of this, Satan has attacked us, God's people, with a vengeance. Satan does not attack animals or trees or you know, rocks things like that. At least I don't think he does. But we, as God's people, how many would agree that the devil attacks? He comes against us. He does not want us to be victorious. We live in a sin-filled world. And what that means is that for some of us, we can be held captive by bondages or strongholds. Our behaviors can be tainted by sin. Our attitudes can be way off we can experience depression or anxiety, and we can be stricken by addiction. And on our own, church, we will fail. On our own, we are powerless. Now, I know that the Bible says when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, that greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. And we agree with that, and we understand that. But once we're a believer, do the trials and the temptations go away? No. No. They're still right there. And so as believers, the question is, is there something that we can rely on to help us live victorious, to help us in the battle of life? And absolutely there is. It's our praise. It's a powerful weapon. It's a tool that that we can use to come against the devil. Our praise will combat the attacks of the enemy, and our praise will lead to great rewards. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. I asked you to turn to two spots, to Acts chapter 16 and then 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to get there in just a second. But I want you to, uh, to remember with me where we started throughout this series in Matthew 22, 37. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? The greatest command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. To love God. And that's where we come to this passage in Acts chapter 16. And my friend Eric Dicenzo is going to come in just a moment, and he's going to share a little from this story. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and, uh, and he is experiencing some things in Acts chapter 16 that were some trials and some tribulations that we're going to hear about. But I want you to back it up in the story here in a second uh, for a moment. In Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2, As we understand the New Testament church, as it started on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was a day filled with praise and worship. The church was started in a worship setting, on their knees, praying, asking God to bless them, to pour out his blessing on the church. And what I want you to see this morning, and Eric, you can come, is that worship and praise are the fountainhead of all power. And we're going to see this in the story of Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas. And we're going to see that in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, Eric, you can grab the mic back there. And uh, you don't know, you'll need a mic. Can
1: you
0: guys hear me? It's right on the chair there, brother. All right, there you go. And take us through this story and how it impacts you this morning. All right? Praise God. Amen. Yes,
1: uh, Brother Ben, thank you. And everybody in Acts 16... Please say amen. So we are you there? Praise God. And we're going to start with verse number 16 and read through 34. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl that had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, remember that word, that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that you come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to to accept by practice. The crowd joined in in an attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered that they would be stripped and beaten after that they had been beaten and flogged severely, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in an inner cell. He fastened their feet with stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, sim- ha- singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors had been opened, and he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights. "'Rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. "'He then brought them out and asked, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' "'They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, "'and you and your household.' "'Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him "'and to all of the others in his house. "'At that hour, in the night, "'the jailer took them and washed their wounds.' And then immediately, he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Well, what's interesting here is that Paul was continuing to do his daily routine. And this demon-possessed girl would not stop nagging his team, his evangelical team, if you will. The New International Version says that Paul became so troubled. Remember I said to remember the word troubled? But the Greek word that actually is used to translate that is grieved. So, reading it from this version, it says, now Paul was grieved. Two reasons do we see that Paul was grieved. First, he was grieved by the very way That Jesus' name was being proclaimed. Remember, this demon-possessed girl was seeking to bring attention to Paul's cause in a very incorrect manner. And it would have caused that the message of Jesus Christ be polluted by the jeering and all of the slander and the way that she announced it. Second, Paul was grieved at the nature of the exchange. Remember, Christ like Paul. 2 Corinthians me. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ could he have not been anything but grieved by the way that one of God's children was being used by a demon to make money he had to want her free and she was bound so he was grieved in an effort to to protect the revered nature of God's name and to fulfill His commission, Paul commanded the demon to come out in Jesus' name. Well, the ones that gained money off of her disability, (laughs) they got upset. So they had Paul and Silas brought up on some charges that were a little bit of a mixture of greed and lies. And the charges were so heinous or they were so outrageous that it just outraged everybody into pure anger now they were thrown into jail but they weren't just thrown into jail they were thrown into the worst possible place in this jail they were thrown into the inner cell the inner cell is a place that is reserved for the hardened criminals for the individuals that for lack of other words had a guarantee or an insurance that they would never escape They were thrown into a place that guaranteed through man's eyes that they would not leave. But let's not forget what Matthew 19.26 says. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So instead of complaining and murmuring, backbiting, plotting their escape, or even talking about the bad magistrates, Paul and Silas simply shut their mouth and obeyed even though they could have avoided jail altogether, by simply speaking up in the beginning and saying that they were Roman citizens, they chose to avoid all evil speaking. Now, it's amazing to look at what James says here in action. Count it all joy. Because it's not the easiest thing in the world to do when you're being persecuted for doing what is right. It certainly isn't the first thing that you think of after being beaten and thrown into jail for helping someone. But it's the right way to react when you face difficult times and you are in your midnight hour. Job 35.10 says, But no one says, where is my God, my Maker, who gives songs at night? Psalms 42.8 says, By day the Lord directs His love, at night His song is with me. Inside Paul and Silas, there was a great weapon. We're going to touch on that in 2 Chronicles 20. This weapon is the power of praise and worship. While Paul and Silas likely sang through some of the psalms in the place that there was often no joy and it was overheard by people that weren't used to hearing all of this joy, It literally set the foundation of the jail rocking. The doors swang open and the bonds of captivities were loosed and everyone that was now bound is free. But Paul and Silas still had a choice and they chose to find their righteousness in Christ. This was a perfect time for them to escape, but they didn't go anywhere. You see, they didn't go anywhere because the jailer, was just as important to God as all of the teachers that Paul preached to in the synagogues and all of the demon possessed people that Jesus set free. The jailer was just as important to God as everyone else. So Paul and Silas, they stayed there in the jail even though God had rocked the foundations. They stood there in their righteousness found in Christ through the praise that was offered up by their mouth and they were asked what every born-again Christian longs to hear. What must I do to be saved? And at that hour, the Bible says that at that hour, salvation was given to their house. And it was through the power of praise and obedience came the opportunity to share Message of salvation.
0: Amen. Thanks, Eric.
1: That story
0: is incredible how God worked through Paul and Silas. And again, like Eric said, Paul and Silas had an incredible weapon that they were able to use in the hour of their need in their struggle there's another story i want you to turn with me to second chronicles second chronicles chapter 20 and i want to look at this and then we're going to tie and look at the the similarities in these stories in second chronicles chapter 20 it says after this the moabites and the ammonites with some of the meonites came to make war against jehoshaphat and he was the king of judah Some of the men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom. Alarmed, uh, verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Now, I like this Jehoshaphat already. He hears that a vast army is coming, and the very first thing he does, he calls his people together to pray and to fast. And uh, I think that's really important. It says, Alarmed, He called a fast for all of Judah. The people came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in the Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyards and said, O oh Lord, God of our forefathers, you are not Are you not God uh, who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms uh, uh, of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you? O oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? They have lived in it and have built in in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. They had made a decision that they were gonna serve God no matter what, that they were declaring that God was their God. But then verse 10, it says, but now... Here are these men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when we came from Egypt. There was some area uh, in the province that uh, the children of Israel were not allowed to go into and to claim as the promised land. God said, this is off limits. And so these areas were still surrounding. And now it says, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11 says, see how they're repaying us by coming to drive out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? The enemy was tricking, and it was tricking and coming against the children of Israel at this moment, trying to take back what God had already given them. And, And they were there, and they're saying, man. And so verse 12 says, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet Jehazel, son of Zechariah, and as he stood in front of the assembly, he said, verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Verse 16, tomorrow march down against them. They will be, they will be climbing up uh, by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel." You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I want you to just kind of circle that area in your Bible because you can go back to that promise and no matter what you're facing, and you can claim that for you. That is truth. And then listen to Jehoshaphat's uh, response. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. They heard the truth, and they responded by humbly coming before God and worshiping Him. Then the Levites uh, from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised God. Pray the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud, loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed to, to sing to the Lord and to pray him for the splendor of the holy as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love and endures forever. Verse 22, I would like you to undermine in your Bible. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab M- M- and Mount Seed who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They were defeated. There's three realities that are similar between these two stories, and they are similar for each of our lives no matter where we are Today, no matter what we're facing, there's three things that are absolutely true that happen in life. The first reality is that the enemy attacked. For Paul and Silas, they were stopped. Their work for Christ was stopped. They were thrown into the inner courts, the inner prison, one of the most severe areas that they could have been. And they, the enemy was attacking For Jehoshaphat and Judah and all of Jerusalem, their their territory was being invaded, was being overtaken. Just like God uh, or just like Satan tries to take back what is ours in Christ, the enemy was attacking, invading. And the enemy attacks us, and he deceives us, and and gives us uh, uh, strongholds, and and he attacks our family, he'll attack the church, he'll attack our finances, or he'll attack relationships. The enemy was attacking. I'm wondering this morning, where has the enemy attacked you in your life, in the past? Where has the enemy tried to come against you and try to put strongholds or addiction, or, or why has he tried to deceive you? Or your family? Where has he done that? But then maybe more important, today, where is the enemy attacking you today? What strongholds are in your life today? Where are you struggling? Where are you trying to do it on your own? Where is the enemy at work in you today? The second reality is that they were powerless. Paul and Silas were powerless in that moment in the inner prison. Jehoshaphat, it says that we have no power, verse 12, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking. They were stuck. Their natural view of things was very, very dim. They were in trouble, like many of us at times feel. And the truth is, is that we are powerless on our own. There is nothing we can do to, to defeat the enemy on our own strength. If it's Ben-Vay against the enemy, the Satan, Satan's going to win. Right. I am powerless before. And so I've got to surrender. We have to surrender and say, God, I understand that my, the future may be hazy or the, the, that I may not be able to see the victory at this moment. But we trust in God that even though we're powerless, Jesus is able to. To work through us. So the enemy attacked. They were powerless. But the third reality is a reality that we want to focus on this morning. They had a great weapon. Their praise released a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Silas, one of my favorite stories of praise, the, because they were singing songs and giving God glory, an earthquake hit. Not just any kind of earthquake, but an earthquake that cracked the walls and the, the doors fell down and their chains were loosed. Powerful as they praised, as they worshiped. And in 2 Chronicles, we read there, as they worshiped, as they began to praise, as they began to sing, the Lord did the battle. They put ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and they were defeated. The Lord fought their battle. The truth for us today is that we have a great weapon. We have this great tool as well. Our praise is a powerful weapon against the enemy. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, a great set of verses here that encourages us to live in the Spirit. It says in verse 15, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Um, Here we're acknowledging that we are living in a sinful world. We are living among evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, let's continue. It says to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for the Father in heaven in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, if we're to live by the Spirit, we need to be full of songs and praises coming from our lips. We need to be careful how we live because the days are evil, it says. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that when we declare our praise, it calls us out of darkness. Psalm 32, 7 says that praise releases bondage. Turn with me to psalms, Psalm 100, one of the most uh, popular Psalms in uh, all of Scripture. Psalm 100, we'll read the whole chapter. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. He, it is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. And what is the reward when we find ourselves in this place, his faithfulness will continue through all generation. God is faithful to meet us when we praise, when we rejoice. I think Eric mentioned Matthew 19, 26, said nothing is too difficult for Jesus. So we understand that Jesus deserves our worship. We understand that Jesus desires it. He desires our praise. Similar to the way that I respond to praise when someone says, "Hey, good job, Ben," or "Boy, that a boy," or, or "Keep it up, keep the good work up." The similar to the way I respond and it makes me feel good and it motivates me. When we express our love for God, when we honor him and give him adoration, he will withhold nothing from us. God himself will fight for us. This morning, I want us to do an experiment together. I want you to grab underneath your chair. There's a little green um, paper, and there's pens on the ends of the aisles. And I want you to grab a pen. And in just a moment, we're going to turn this place into a place of worship and praise together. And we restructured the service to be able to give lots of time to respond. But what I'd like you to do in this moment, and I'd like everyone to participate, uh, if you would, is to write down, don't put your name on it, but to write down the biggest struggle that you are up against at this moment. What is the biggest struggle that you're up against at this moment? Now, I know for some of you, the struggle could be huge. For others, you say, well, it's not that big. But I want you to think of the biggest struggle, the thing that you are holding on to, maybe where the enemy is attacking your family or your relationships or your finances. And what are you trying to accomplish on your own, on your own strength? What is the biggest struggle that you're up against this morning? And we'll take a second and let you uh, consider what that might be. And I realize that this could be personal, and, and no one's going to know what you've written. Uh, we're we're going to do something with these in just a moment. Don't put your name on them. But what is it in your life that you're up against? Where is the enemy attacking, or where is the struggle? Where is it? it? Is at school, or is it on the team, or is it, is it uh, at home? Is it raising our kids or is it raising uh, uh, a husband or a wife, you know, working, uh, relationships? And then I want you to remind yourself for a moment that God would love for us to fill our lives with praise. A powerful weapon, a powerful tool that according to scripture leads us to victory. We define praise as expressing adoration, being, bringing grateful homage in song or words, or an act of worship. That's what praise is. Where can we do this? I want you to consider with me for a moment, and maybe you're still writing the biggest struggle that you're up against, or maybe the Lord will re- reveal where you're struggling at this moment. But where can you do this? Where can you praise? Where can you worship? Of course, here in a worship setting like this, when the body of Christ comes together, that is a powerful moment. But how many know we can worship God in our car? We can worship God under our breath at work or at school. As you work out, you can praise and worship the Lord. In the shower, you can praise and honor God. In, in bed at night, before you fall asleep, you can sing praises to God. Or when you wake up in the morning, the first thing off your tongue can be praise the Lord. And God can do a work and can help you face the day. One, it's something fun that we do as a family uh, that is kind of uh, silly, but we will sing this crazy song at the end of our prayer, if we're praying for something uh, at, at bedtime or even sometimes at the dinner table. And when we say amen, if, we got this, uh, if, we got, if we're in the mood I'll kind of start off saying, amen, and then all of a sudden, Logan's saying, amen, then Reagan joins, amen, and then everybody's saying, amen, amen, and we'll sing that until we're smiling and we're laughing, but what we're doing is we're declaring God's praise. We're on God for who He is, and of some steps that we can take as believers. Now I want you, if you've written down what is the greatest thing, that, the greatest struggle, or the greatest obstacle in your life at this moment, I want you, first of all, to declare in your spirit your powerlessness, that you, on your own strength, no matter what the struggle is, you, by yourself, you are not enough. Now, I don't want anyone leaving here uh, discouraged because after that, King Jehoshaphat said, look, this army is too vast. We cannot defeat it. But then they turned after the prophet declared that the battle was not theirs, that God was going to fight it, and they worshiped. They found themselves bowed down humbly before the Lord. Now, we're ending this series of worship together with this power of praise because I believe God wants every single one of us to live our lives victorious in Christ Jesus, doing great and mighty things. And like Jehoshaphat, and like Paul and Silas, we need to find ourselves at a place of worship, surrendered to God, humbly before Him. Then after they worshiped, And after they were on their face before the Lord, as time went on, they declared their powerlessness, they worshiped, and something changed inside their spirit. It turned to praise. They kicked it up. They brought their struggle and brokenness, they worshiped, and then they praised. And in both situations, there was a victory. And I want to say this morning that whatever you wrote down as the biggest struggle in your life at this moment, as you follow these steps, say, man, we're we're broken. We're going to worship. We're going to turn to praise. I believe victory is right around the corner for each and every one of us. Because God is the same yesterday as he was, as he is today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. And God wants us to live in victory. I'm going to ask the praise and worship team to come and join me. And I want the worship team to, to bring their little green slips first, And uh, if you filled one out. And I would like you to, to place it in this bowl up here, because this is going to be something that we're all going to participate in and just drop it in, and we're, no one's going to see these uh, who did what or who wrote what. But we're going to turn, we're going to bring our struggle before the Lord, the greatest thing in our, that we're struggling. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask that we would do the same, that we would consider what we wrote out and consider our weakness, and that the Bible says in our weakness, He is strong. Jesus becomes strong. And that we're going to turn our struggle over to Jesus. And we're going to drop it in the bucket. And we're going to give it over to the Lord. And as we do that, in a moment, I'm going to ask that we would bring those. And then we'd find a place in the sanctuary to worship the Lord. To find ourselves humble before God, like Jehoshaphat and Judah and all Jerusalem like Paul and Silas, humbled, broken. And as time goes on, the worship team will start off with some worship songs. And it's going to build. And we're going to turn those things into praise. And we're going to praise God in the face of whatever we're struggling. Wherever the struggle, wherever the obstacle is. This morning, we're going to turn this Whole sanctuary into a place of worship, a place of praise. And we're going to declare victory through our praise and through our worship. Let's stand together this morning, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray for each and every man and each and every woman that has found themselves here at the Gateway Church this morning. That no matter what the struggle, no matter what the pain, no matter what the situation, Lord, you are able to minister, to help us. When we are weak, you are strong, Lord. We declare that this morning. And God, we bring our struggle to you, our burden to you. And we find ourselves humbled on our knees. And God, as we do that, I pray that you would just well up within us, God. A desire to turn our struggle to praise. For God, we have a great weapon to live in your victory. And God, I pray that we would walk out today knowing your victory through praise. God, meet us at this moment. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. And you can bring your struggle to the Lord and drop it in the bucket and find a place.